Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. And then she, she and Ashley Belrose that now at Remington, like brought all these people to Remnant and we just exploded. But um, he was one of my right-hand guys in the youth ministry and um, he, we go way back. And um, I'm not going to tell you because he had a little bump in the road, but who would have thought you would have been here preaching, preaching the gospel? Come on. God has done a redemptive work. So stretch out your hands to him. We're ready to receive the word. Are you ready to receive the word? He's a spiritual son, and I, I'm going to tell you, get ready, because he has a word. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that we will hear. We got dressed today to worship you. We got ready not just to, to look at Facebook while we're here and, and, and Twitter and all these things. Or we, we came here to worship and hear the word of the Lord. So today, anoint Lord, my spiritual son, Adam, Lord, with fire, let him be led by your spirit and let us receive the words deeply to bring healing into our congregation and purpose in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, uh, legit. If you would have told me, I mean, even this time last year that I'd be here sharing with, I mean, at, at my spiritual father's congregation, I would have probably cussed you out a little bit, to be quite honest with you. So, as he said, I spent a lot of time in my youth serving the Lord. Uh, had a cell group or a home group, back then a cell group. I was doing all the things that I had to do. My relationship with God was so vital, so real, so tangible. For many, many years, me and my wife, we were part of uh, the Orlando House of Prayer, helping get that started we, uh, we were also, like I guess, a form of uh, intercessory missionaries at that house. I was teaching in the Bible school. I was doing all the things that when you get saved and you get marked by the Lord, you long to do. You long to join in, lock arms with the Lord, and to begin to serve Him and begin to act on His behalf for the world. I was doing those things. We moved up to Kansas City, and at some point along the road, as you said, the bump in the road, we were up in Kansas City. I was part of a fasting team. I was, you know, being somewhat discipled by Alan Hood and Corey Russell, which you would think is like the most amazing opportunity. But somehow, some way, my heart began to grow very dull and very bored with the Lord, which it's, it's staggering now when I look back because I realized that God is an eternal God he has no limits. He has no limitations. That he inhabits eternity. This is the one thing that always blows my mind when I think about eternity. All of human history is on the back of this page, right? Let's put it in this perspective. God is way over there. He stands on the outside of eternity. But somehow I grew bored and complacent with the identity and the attributes of an eternal breathtaking God. I lost my sight on just how beautiful and filled with majesty, compassion, and power he was. So I began to become very dull, very self-centered. The Lord opened up amazing opportunities for me in my design career. I went from literally designing at, <laughs> designing for PG to then designing for Pastor Carlos, and then I'm designing at IHOP, and they're starting to really speak into my talent and my gifting. I get to design a couple books. I got to design a book for Mike Bickle, a couple albums for, for IHOP. 
And I go, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to move into, I'm going to transition into the marketplace, which my intention was pure. At that point, I wasn't backslidden, but I was complacent. There's a difference. Still loved God at that point. I still wanted to serve him in the marketplace. I wanted to be a burning and shining lamp wherever I went that I could draw men to the Lord. But the greater my career got, the more fame I got, the more attention my, my work got, the more it became an idol to me. You see, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very poor means. I grew up in Pine Hills. My parents had very little. My street had a lot of violence. I grew up in very poor means. I had very little. I didn't get, like, nice Nikes. I got those, like, cheap Payless Shaquille O'Neal's. They would make them light up until you're like 18, and no 18-year-old wants their shoes to light up. But I grew up in that environment, so when I started getting all this notoriety and all this attention for my work, and I started getting projects that went from $50 to $500 to $5,000 to $22,000, you got to understand, this little Pine Hills kid never thought he would see money like that. So it was very easy because my roots that were once very, very deep, started becoming unrooted. So the moment the temptation entered for me to look at myself and begin to self-worship myself, because any time, any time, this is not everything. You're worshiping an idol. Every time. I'm serious. I'm serious. If you're doing this and you go like that, it's idol worship. Because he alone is worthy. He alone hit the very facet of his deity demands worship. And he doesn't demand worship because he's self-centered. He demands worship because there's nothing like him. There's no one. No one has ever been. There will never be anyone like him. So slowly but surely, these truths began to be unrooted. I began to worship myself worship my career. For the first time ever, I was able to really provide for my wife. You got to understand the temptations of Satan. He's crafty. He's, he's not ignorant. Don't play like he's ignorant. He knew. He knew that if he went after my money, my position, because again, I never thought I would, I didn't go to, I didn't go to design school. I was, I was self-taught. There was nothing about my career that made sense. And I knew that. And I would always tell people it was the Lord. It was the Lord that did that. But over time, my heart became bored, stagnant. I was no longer fascinated by him. And I want to say early on in this message, watch yourself. Because if you would have told 21-year-old Adam that you would have had a seven-year distance from Jesus... I wouldn't have taken that. I would have said, you don't know how much I love him. But I had seven years. Seven years where I worshipped myself. And I worshipped the attention. And I lost sight. So I spent that time building a name for myself. Becoming insta-famous to some degree. I'm so glad people unfollow me now because I love Jesus. It's the most beautiful offering I can give. 
But my Instagram followers start going crazy. I'm starting to get asked to go to these conferences and speak and these schools and speak. And it's funny how when it first started, I wasn't afraid to say Jesus. But towards the tail end of those opportunities, the name of Jesus was devoid from my lips. Again, he's crafty. Watch yourself. Stay sober-minded, sober of heart. Watch, therefore, and pray. Keep your gaze on him. So I'm again, I'm, I'm going through all of that. I'm getting all this notoriety, all this attention. And it's beautiful. And I, I can't wait to get to this in the book of Hosea. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm getting all this money, all this fame, all this attention. All these awesome friends. None of which loved the Lord. It's funny how that, that also ended. My, my desire to hang out with Christian people also went. And over time, I was brought to a position in a place where I thought I was untouchable. I thought, I've arrived. I'm making good money. I can provide. I have kids. For those that don't know us, we didn't know we could have kids for about seven years. So the fact that we had kids was also an idol to us. Because we looked at our kid and we, we were so overprotective. We never gave him to the Lord up until recent. So we got distracted and, and, and preoccupied with the things of this world. And we lost sight of the absolute fascinating beauty of who Jesus is. Now there's something very powerful about the Lord. And this is something I learned very early on in my fascination with the book of Hosea. And it is that there is nothing that can stop him from getting to you. His, listen, 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 really listen. The desire in which you currently have to pursue him is absolutely pitiful if you compare it with his desire to pursue you. I want to I I rest all those in the room that are a little tired. You're a little tired in this Christian race. I want you to, to rest in one truth. He is more committed to you than you will ever be to him. And he knows that. It doesn't blow his mind. He's not looking at you going, come on, come on, be more committed. Pray more, fast more, read more. He is fully committed to you because he cannot divide his attributes. So if God is faithful, he can never be unfaithful. And the beautiful thing about the book of Hosea is that God plainly commits himself to a prostitute. He tells Hosea, Hosea, now listen to this. And if you want, you can pull up Hosea 1 scripture. I'm just going to probably blow through it a little bit. In Hosea chapter 1, when Hosea is first commissioned, it says the word of the Lord first came to Hosea. Now I want you to think about something. Hosea was one of the early prophets. Can you imagine the commissioning? You're, 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 you're looking back at all the early history of when God's voice came to Israel. And you're awaiting him in his presence. And he says, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry a prostitute because my people are prostituting themselves. For me, in my, my early pursuit, 
that was one of the most staggering and most mind-blowing and heart-wrenching ideas is that Hosea was entered in, in my opinion, this is my, my conviction, my opinion, I believe that the book of Hosea is one of the greatest examples of God's ways and attributes than anything else. Because God literally enters in a covenant with Hosea and says, Hosea, I want you to act on my behalf. God plainly shows his nature through Hosea by saying, go and marry a prostitute because my people. But here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't say, do that because I'm not married to them. He says, no, I am married to these people. I have given myself to these people. They are mine. I love them. His pursuit after you far outweighs your pursuit. Rest in that truth. He is married to you no matter what. Because he entered into a covenant. He can't break his word because that's not the nature of God. God cannot do that. So again, we're living the high life, I guess you could say. Great job, all this stuff. But what you'll find is God has a very strategic and beautiful way of breaking you down. Yes, sir. So, so often we rebuke things that are happening in our life, but really God is trying to strip us down. We're like, no, Lord, I pray against that. And he's going, but that's the very thing that's going to unhinge you from the ways of the world. God, please remove this thing from me. And he goes, no, 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 no. I want this thing to, to strip you bare. I want this thing to slay your thirst so that when you come out of it, all you want is me. I witnessed that. You ready to hear the downfall of my life over a season of about three years, three or four years? Going after all that stuff. Began to become raging alcoholics. Began to become very much addicted to pornography. When I say very much addicted, I mean I was a slave. I was a slave to alcohol. I was a slave to pornography. I was absolutely addicted to everything but his presence. And that's the key. If I would have been addicted to his presence, all those things would have just washed away. Begin to become addicted with myself and my power, my position and prestige. And in one blink of an eye, my career's basically shattered. I get a cease and desist letter handed to me from Disney by a sheriff deputy because I shared something in my Insta story that was not allowed to be seen. I broke the contract. So in a moment, my largest client is now threatening to basically sue me. Now you got to imagine, I had, no, I, I had been so distant from my relationship with Jesus that I didn't even remotely think to turn to him or to even self-investigate what is happening on the inside of me. So I began to get really angry. How could my career fall? What am I going to do? All of a sudden, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay bills. During that same season, me and my wife, we almost lose each other. We became so fascinated and so self-loving that we stopped loving each other. She starts having feelings for another person. It's breaking my heart, trying to navigate how to handle that. 
But I had a very, in that season, which this is, this is absolutely crazy. In that season, the Lord pulled out like that ace card and said, do you remember your time in the book of Hosea? So during that season, I began to reflect upon the Lord and began to treat her the way Hosea did, a.k.a. the way the Lord takes care and tends to us. I knew very much in that season that I needed to be accepting, not judgmental. I needed to be loving, not withhold my love. That's exactly what the Father does. It's exactly His nature in His ways. So again, during that time that's happening, we rekindle. My career is still dashed to pieces. We're, we're struggling so bad. We have a bunch of fallout with a bunch of friends. We, our name gets run through the, the mud. Literally, my life is essentially falling apart. Falling apart. But no call. No God help. No, please help me. I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my kids. I just want to provide. I just want to feel safe. We pick up from Orlando because we realized we had, to, we had to leave. There was so much baggage and so much hurt and so much shame that we had to leave. So we move out to Daytona or Port Orange. And the pruning process isn't done yet. Now the n- next couple things you're about to hear from me, I want you to understand that I've investigated, read, and prayed about these things. So when I say them, I want you to understand that I'm convinced During that time, right prior to us moving, my biological father comes to visit for Christmas. It's a really awkward time. He brings this new girlfriend, and she has a son, so now it's his new son. It was a really awkward, you know, my my kids are trying to play with him. Hey, Grandpa, Grandpa, and he's got this other kid. It's very awkward and jarring. So he leaves, and me and Christina are like, all right, that was a lot. About two weeks later, he dies. He died. Suddenly, no warning, no previous condition that we knew of. He ended up passing away from a heart attack that was caused by a liver failure. I bring that up because I want you to understand something. God will do what he needs to do. Now, am I saying God's going to go and kill your family members? No. But what I'm saying is God will always use the means in which will bring his son glory. And that is not determined on how comfortable you feel in it. So he took my father. Now, I know, I'm, I, I'm convinced my dad went to be with the Lord. We've had many conversations. So again, I can rest in that. I can rest in that, that idea. But God, you began to use that to strip me again. There's one more layer off of me that was hinging me to Satan. Time moves on. We move to, uh, to Port Orange. Again, I'm, I can't provide. My alcohol has gone through the roof still. I'm cussing like a sailor. Now I live by the water, so it's worse. Because, you know, like, every, <laughs> island time, no. <laughs> Boat life, uh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. So, we be, I mean, we kept that going. We're like, let's keep going. And now, I have, now I have pain. Now I have pain. My dad is dead. I didn't get to say, Dad, I love you. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss seeing you with my kids. So it, in the moment... It felt very much like God forgot me. A few, I guess it was a few months technically later, my grandmother passes away. Another layer stripping off. Now, now my grandmother, 
She was an amazing woman who loved so well. She actually was the, the buffer between me and my dad because me and my dad would butt heads all the time growing up. He did not. We, we were always arguing, always at each other's throats. She was that safe place to get me free. Now she's gone. He's gone. Another layer, another pursuit of God to get me free. Literally, a few months later, I'm working on a big project. I finally got a job again. So my finances are starting to improve. I'm working one night on a project when I get the most horrific phone call ever. It's my stepdad. Hey, your mom just had a heart attack. She's in the ER. In that moment, I began to actually realize I need to say, help me, God. A few hours later, he calls again and says, she's gone. Now, anybody that knows my history with my mom, my mom was an intercessor. She taught me to go after God. I would do stuff at school. I would come home, and my mom would be like, you did this, 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 and this. And I'm like, did the school call you? Because I didn't get caught doing it. No, the Holy Spirit told me. And I was like, oh, leave me alone. She taught me how to love God. She even taught me how to love God amidst persecution, which America has not even experienced yet. Taught me how to love him, how to worship, how to pray. I'll never forget when uh, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time. I was prepping to go to a baseball game, a little Little League baseball game, and my mom laid hands on me. She's like, do you, wanna, do you want the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because she had basically that week had led me to the Lord. Do you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, yes. I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's so funny because I was a kid. I'm like in the batter circle, getting ready to go at bat, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, if I do that, I'm going to hit a home run. But she taught me how to go after God unashamedly because everyone in her family thought she was psychotic everyone thought she is off her rocker she's always trying to prophesy God's always giving her dreams about things that are going to happen and they happen she's psychotic me and my wife we loved the daylights out of her I loved her quirks too there was some quirks I love you mom um but God took her and that was horrible feeling Within the span of about a year and a half, I lost all of those things. All, all of the, the job. Well, the job was a little bit before that, but I lost my, my biological father. I lost my grandmother, and I lost my mother. God will not relent until he has it all. So if you don't give him all now, he will get all. He's, he's a bridegroom. And I don't know, but there's not a lot of fury like a husband's fury. He will get all that he wants of you. But rest that he's going to do it for you. He will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done. Have you ever thought about prayer? Prayer is us partnering with God, but we're listening to the words that God says for us to pray back to him. We pray for Afghanistan Jesus is already up in heaven praying for Afghanistan. We here, we need to pray for Afghanistan. We pray for Afghanistan. Our prayers have partnered with his prayers. He's not asking you to lay anything down that he hasn't already laid down. 
So in those, those moments of losing my mom, I cried out. You can ask my wife. I was in bed, just bawling. And I told her, I said, this death will not be in vain. She's the final seed. I said, there are three seeds that fell into the ground. My father, my grandmother, and my mother, and those seeds will bear fruit. I vowed that day. I said, I'm coming back to you. Now, I want you to understand something. It didn't happen right away. Like, we would love and hope. But about seven months later, which is so significant that it was seven months, me and my wife are, you know, everything's starting to lift off with COVID a little bit, and churches are starting to reopen, and, you know, we just bought our first house, and we go, you know, let's, let's start going to church like, like normal people do, because they bought a house, they have kids, they have a job, they go to church, Right? God, please don't be one of those people. Actually fall in love with Jesus and want to be here. But we show up. We show up, and I have, I'm honestly, I'm not even exaggerating. I was there to just say that I went to church. Because I thought some way, shape, or form that just made me a better person. Now, I want you to, again, remember who I described I was when I was under his leadership, and I was preaching. I was, pre- I was, I was preaching in, in jails and in detention centers. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about I was like, a, 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 I loved God, and I was just like a pew warmer. No, I, I, like, when you hear these things, listen to how jarring it is. We're in a service, and the worship's going on, and I start to feel something. I'm like, that's his presence. I hadn't felt that in like seven years. Now, I want you to think for a second, not feeling that sweet presence. You know what? You know my favorite part about the presence of God is? It's not that I feel it here. It's that I know he's right there. And he's right here. That he's all around me. My, my favorite thing about God's presence is that it's not just the sensation, but it's how near he is. I so desire God's nearness. I want to have that level of God consciousness that I can go through a storm, I can go through any season, but I know he's right there. And then I'm leaning on him. So we're in the service, worship's going on. The pastor, he's delivering a, a, just a message essentially on the love of God. They go into a time of of like altar call ministry, but they don't really do, they weren't doing altar calls because of COVID and stuff. But I'm standing there and I'm worshiping. You know, because I remembered how to do that. It looks like this, but like this doesn't even, if this isn't, anyway, I think you know where I was going. So I'm like this. When I hear him. And he says, Jeremiah 2, 2 to me. I remember you. You have to understand. I lost everything. I barely was pursuing him. But he said, I remember you. It's funny because I used to preach that scripture, but in the, in the flurry of the moment, my eyes are crying. I'm feeling him. And it's like a fire. I'm like, where is that scripture? I pull out my phone. I go to Jeremiah 2.2. 2. 
I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness. In a second, friends, I went from zero to a billion with my life with God. I went from being addicted to pornography. Now I want you to understand something. I struggled with pornography during much of my leadership seasons. When I was at IHOP and I was at OHOP, that was one of my besetting sins. I immediately got set free from something I gave up asking God for. I don't think you understand what it feels like. I'll say it like this. Don't ever forget what it feels like. Something the Lord has been pressing on me all morning and even when I was studying at home is so often we get past our salvation experience and think that there's something else on the other side that's more powerful. Do you know... Try to remember right now, take a second and try to remember what it felt like to be in the muck and in the mire, an enemy to God. But he says, I remember Hallelujah. you. Hallelujah. In a moment, I, like, again, I was cussing like crazy. I had a worst mouth, even around my kids. Immediately I stopped cussing. I was filled with anger from everything I went through. I wasn't mad at God. I was, mad. I was just mad because I wanted to be mad. My anger was gone. Everything lifted off of me. I was immediately set free by the presence and the voice. Some of you, you need to hear the voice again. He pressed on me. Some of you, you need to be taken back to the I remember you moment. And you need to cry out, Lord, let me hear you. If he spoke the word and everything was existed, shouldn't we seek his voice? Some of you, you haven't heard his voice in a while. I firmly believe you're going to hear it. I believe some of you walked in here with baggage. You're not where you need to be, where you want to be. But God says, I remember you. I believe that the same thing that happened to me in that church service is going to happen to you today. I'm confident. You can't tell me it's not going to happen. Because I'm not going to stand here and experience what I, what I went through and all the salvation that I experienced in a second to not believe it for everybody in this room. I don't care if it's cancer. Cancer's gone. What was his name the, your, your, uh, with COVID? I heard the Lord say, he's going to put breath in his lungs. Breath in his lungs. A disease that attacks the lungs will be defeated by the breath of God. I'm serious. That, 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 the, the might of that power on Mount Sinai when he spoke and it was as thunder and lightning. That's the voice of God that's going to defeat COVID in the lungs. So immediately... My life is transitioned and changed. I want you to understand, I went from cussing, drinking, uh, 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 pornography, all of those things, to in an instant, all of it gone. I'm talking, I walked out of church, didn't cuss anymore, didn't do any of those things anymore. In a second. Think about that. 
from that moment on, out of nowhere, I'm like, I need a prayer life. Waking up at 5 a.m. to be with him for two hours, all I'm, all I'm doing, all I'm telling him is, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up. Because this weight that has been pressing on me is gone. I went from all of those things to immediately wanting nothing more than to be in his presence. And I believe and I prophesy that God's calling people back. The people that once were the fiery ones, that the cares of this life tried to sniff out. They did not sniff out. Because when he says, I am married to you, he means it. He's going to rekindle those flames and he's going to make those the burning and shining lamps that are going to awaken this next generation of a move of God that's going to usher in the return of the most beautiful deity in existence. And his name is Jesus. Now, I want to, for a few moments, I want to take you through the book of Hosea. I want to take you through how my story is found in this text, how my wife's story is found in this text. If we could, let's turn to Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to do Hosea 2 too. It says, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband that she would put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. I want you to understand something. If you, if you maybe write this down, you can do it later. Go to the very end of Hosea chapter 14. Hosea drops a, a little Jesus sort of verbiage there where he goes, the words of this prophecy, I'm paraphrasing it, the words of this prophecy are meant to jar you. The book of Hosea, in my, in my personal opinion, is going to be one of the premier books that's going to help the end time church keep in their identity. Keep in love and in fascination with Jesus. The words of Hosea are meant to jolt us from slumber and sleep. They're meant to disturb us because you want to know what it does? It exposes the condition of our soul. So when you're reading the themes about stripping down naked and whoring, they're jarring and disturbing statements. But if I'm being quite honest, I feel so truthfully that the church has grown so comfortable with hearing the phrase lukewarm that God is changing his tone and his verbiage. We hear lukewarm and we go, okay, I just need to get hot again. When he's going, you being lukewarm is whoredom. You are playing the harlot when you're not in love with me. So when he says, plead with your mother, that is an ushering of intercession. Plead for your mother. Plead for her. Pray for the church. Believe that the church would put away from their face, which is this, church Stop looking at the next method to get people in the door and start looking at Jesus. Church, stop looking at all the fog machines and lights on eBay and get into the word and find my face. Strip the, remove the adultery from between your breasts means this, your heart, I want it. 
I want your heart. The adultery that you're playing, what you're seeing is where your heart is going. But I want your heart. I want to remove that Baal worship. Baal, for those that don't know it, it's all about self-gratification. There is so much self-gratification plaguing the church. And I've said it many times and I'll say it again. We cannot become those that take God's silence as his approval. Just because you don't feel he's not okay with it doesn't mean he's okay with it. He wants your heart, and I want to tell you, if you're in here, and you want to give him your heart, he's going to take it. He wants it, and he is tenacious in his pursuit. I'm going to show you through Hosea. He is tenacious. He will not cower. He is not afraid. He will get what he desires, and he wants your heart. So he prays, plead, plead. And then, Here's the key. You saw he said, I'm going to strip her. That's what happened to me and Christina. I was all decorated with all this false, all these jewels and gems given to me from the enemy. Satan made me look beautiful on the outside, but I was dead on the inside. So he said, I'm going to strip you down. I'm going to bring you back to the day you were born. What you want to know what that speaks to me of, especially? Our relationship with Jesus in the garden. I'm going to strip you down as in the day you were born. I'm going to bring you back to first love. To when you were absolutely infatuated with me. Where all you wanted was my presence. You wanted my face. He's going to do that. Some of you in this room, you feel like your life has been falling apart. You feel like this isn't going right. That's not going right. I want you right now to just begin to ask him to come and to strip away anything that hinders love. Because he will do it. He will not share you. Do you understand? He's not going to share you with anything else. The beautiful thing is he's gonna, he says that I'm not going to share you, but I'm also going to help you stay faithful to me. Let's continue to Hosea 2, chapter, uh, verse 6. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her. So that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She will seek them, but she will not find them. Then she shall say, I will go again and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. Do you know the beauty of the Lord in that statement? He's saying, I'm going to make your whoring very, very difficult. That's how much he loves you. When you say, strip me, I want you to have my heart. He goes, I can do that. And I'm going to wall you in. I'm going to make that pursuit that you have to go look at pornography extremely difficult. Because that spirit of a conviction is going to set in like a driving jackhammer. And you won't be able to. He wants to do this for you. You will go to pursue it. Oh, I can't. That's right. I love God. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm going to go after, no, no, no. It'll leave you so frustrated that you're going to go. And this is what happened to me. So when I'm sharing this, I'm not, I'm not coming from this theological perspective because I've read a couple commentaries. I was so, so confused and frustrated that my sin was no longer satisfying me. That it left me going, I'm just going to show up to church because that's kind of what people do. 
Do you see how weak that yes was? We have this grand idea that our yes needs to be some beautiful, romantic Hallmark movie moment. It doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't need a strong yes. He is the strong yes. Just a reminder, he is the I am. He's the alpha, the omega. He can take the weakest yes. He can take the yeah, and that he'll use that. He desires to wall us all in. He wants to make us a garden enclosed. He wants to frustrate the wages and war of the enemy because they can't get to you anymore. Do you want that? Do you want the enemy to stop tormenting you? Making you a slave? There was points where I would pull up to the liquor store and I would cry. I would cry. Because I would go, God, I know when I go in there, I'm going to go in my head and I'm going to say, I'm just going to have two drinks tonight. Meanwhile, truth be told, the bottle's gone the next day. I was a slave. So when he invites me into a locked garden to where my, my, my worship and my addictions can't find me, I'll say yes to that. I don't care what it looks like for me to do. I don't care how much of a life laid down it needs to be. I'll give him whatever he wants if it means I'm not, I'm not a slave anymore to sin. Continue on in Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to go to verse 14. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. You see, when you get locked in with God, all you have is Him. Silence is all the. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like where I was right now, I want to tell you He can silence those voices. He will shut their mouth so quick if you say yes. I am so serious. I was tormented. Tormented. The beautiful thing is you would, you would think, the way God is going to, he's going to strip me and then he's going to lock me in so they can't find me. But he takes it a step further in his pursuit of you. And he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Which means this, I am going to blow your mind for me. I am going to amaze you to the point where you realize that he is the most fascinating and beautiful thing in existence. I'm going to think about the beauty and the kindness of the Lord that he says, I am going to allure her. That means he is going to step out of where he is and come to you and grab you. And he's going to speak tenderly to you. Now, when I think of tender words, I don't think of him patting all my, all my laziness and all my lethargy and slothful spirit. And I, when I hear tenderly, I think about the tone in which he's speaking. Have you ever had a parent or someone you love correct you, but they don't scream at you? They correct you with a voice of tenderness. He says, I'm going to draw you out. I'm going to put you into the wilderness. The wilderness is where your love for him is made mature. So many of us, we get so afraid to have a wilderness season. The wilderness season is the best gift he can give you because in the wilderness, there's no distractions. In the wilderness, there's no grandiose city with all this buzzing business. It's you and God alone. And he takes those moments and he speaks right to your heart. 
And he takes the sword of his spirit and he carves off everything that hinders love. But he has to draw you into a season in which your hunger for him becomes absolutely outrageous. That it offends people. Wholehearted devotion will always offend a religious spirit. But he will draw you out to him. He will carve off everything that hinders love because he will not be refused of having the bride in which he paid for. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the Valley of Accor a door of hope, which those that don't know Valley of Accor, it was a very big site for murder. So it's essentially, I'm going to reverse the curse of death in your life. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as when she came out of the land of Egypt. Again, the Lord speaks to that early moment in which we said yes to him. I'm convinced that many in the church have forgotten the explosion that happened when they committed themselves to him. And if we do not return to that, you will find yourself in a very dangerous place to where I found myself for seven years. Please don't downplay when you said yes to him. Please don't think that there's some other great experience that you could have. You were exposed to the living God and you committed yourself to him. There's not much more than that. Everything else should lead you to respect and love that moment more. So when you lay hands on the sick, it should cause your heart to explode with the very fact that you said yes to him in your youth. And again, the Lord speaks and says, I remember you. I'm going to draw her away. I'm going to reverse death and decay. I'm going to give her her vineyards. I'm going to restore to her everything she's lost. But first we have to be stripped. We have to give him our whole heart. We have to get locked into that room with him and we have to deal with the things we need to deal with and let his love wash us. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And you will no longer call me my master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from your mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. I want you to think about this. He has committed to you, knowing the current condition of who you are right now. He has committed himself. And again, we're not talking about our weak commitments. Yeah, I'll be there and then you, oh, sorry, I can't make it. No, when he says, I am committed to you, he means that with every fiber of his deity because he cannot divide himself. He cannot contradict himself. He is saying, I have transitioned you from playing the harlot to being my wife. I desire to take you out of playing the whore and to bring you into a right marital relationship with me. In a marriage, you lay your life down. Your wife lays it down for the husband, the husband for the wife. That's the beautiful thing about what our, our marriage on the earth resembles in heaven. It's a life laid down. How easy we forget that the Bible says that when we were yet sinners, he died. That means while you were playing the whore, he already committed before the foundations of the world that he would come and die upon a cross for you because he wants to be your husband. 
And he will do all it takes to get you free. Some of you, you believe that this is just the way the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years are going to go. Don't be like me and believe that lie. He will come and he will strip you bare if you invite it. If you get real serious and say, I desire you, I want you to come and remove everything that hinders love, that my love for you can abound more and more. If you pray that the Lord would, that the Holy Spirit would pour the love of the Father into your heart, he promised he would do it. He takes a broken mess of a person and says, I am your husband. I love you. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. You understand, he is betrothed to you. He's committed to you. Don't believe the lies that you're alone and he's forgotten you. I have betrothed you to me for a year. No, he says forever. So when you come to him and you fall in love with him and then fall away, he hasn't forgotten you. I remember you. I am betrothed to you forever. You know what? God hates uh, divorce so much because it breaks that covenant. And he doesn't like that. He loves a covenant, a marriage covenant strengthened and held tight because he is betrothed you to him forever. Isaiah says, your creator is your husband. It's time we stop looking at our relationship with Jesus and this sort of linear plane in which he's just a God that gives us his presence and does a few things for us, but we're not deeply committed to him in a marital way. Jesus is not coming back for a people that just enjoy showing up to church. He's coming back for a people that are a bride, that join with the call of the Holy Spirit and say, come, Lord Jesus. It's time we get back to that joining of marital love with the Lord. Again, I said it. I firmly believe that some of us in this room, there are things we've been asking God to remove and to take away. And we've bought into lies that he's not going to, that my life will always be like this. But I want to remind you, he has betrothed himself to you forever. He's not going to break that covenant. His faithfulness is the most assured thing in this universe. I'm going to move on to Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3 means a lot to me. Um... Few nights ago, I had a really substantial encounter with the Lord around it, and so when I get into this section, I, I'm just praying that I articulate what He told me to articulate correctly. 
Hosea chapter 3, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful depictions of the cross. Because it's a time where Hosea first is told, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. And I also think for many years people have maybe thought Hosea wasn't in love. No, Hosea fell in love with this woman. He fell in love with a woman that could not be faithful. He fell in love with a people that could not stay on the path. Gomer was addicted to the fruit and the payment of her prostituting ways. In the same way that when sin comes into our life, it gives us that sensation of thrill. We love those wages, but those wages lead to death. So in Hosea chapter 3, Hosea is told something one more time, and it is go. First it was go and marry, and now this next segment, in my opinion, has so much beauty and grandeur and splendor on the nature and heart of God. It says, I want you to go to a woman that is loved by another, The Lord said, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley. I've never known how to say that word. He's told to go and to love her again. Go again in love. Some of you need to feel that love of God again. Some of you really need to feel that love of God again. The striking thing is Hosea goes to love her, but she's a slave. And those people, they're not going to let her go. They're not going to give her up. Hosea goes and goes, I want my bride back. No, she's ours. She's our prostitute. She's our slave. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna slay her. We're going to murder her. We're going to bring her to that point of no return and of pain. So what does Hosea do? He has to buy her back. Do you know what the wages that that cost was. Do you know what, where else that, that same figure? It's a different dollar. It's a different name for the dollar, but the same amount. It's when Judas betrayed Jesus. Hosea chapter 3 is a picture of the cross, friends. It's go again and love a woman that is loved by another and buy her back. Jesus gazing down on the humanity's frailty, gazing down, staring at the frailty of humanity, goes, I will pay the, I will pay the cost with the cross. I will go and buy back a people. I think it's time that we stop looking at the cross as merely a legal agreement for our remission of sins, but we see it for what God said it was. In Exodus, when God made a covenant for marriage, it could not be broken. When Jesus died on the cross, it was another marriage covenant. When he hung there on the cross, marred, deformed, bleeding out, barely able to breathe, 
He was essentially looking at all of humanity with one glimpse of his eye going, Will you marry me? We've made it so easy. Will you accept Jesus? No! Will you marry him? Will you commit everything you have to this man? I could see it in the encounter I had with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was whispering this to me. He was willing to stop at nothing to get humanity to love him. Hanging there on the cross. He screams out, will you marry me? It's it's as if he's going, look at all I did. The way the Holy Spirit explained this portion to me was, Jesus' time of 33 years, he spent it on his knee. Waiting for that opportune moment to pop that question to all of human existence. Waiting. How many times was it not his time? When all of a sudden, when no one loved him, when no one appreciated that man, when he was scorned, abused, afflicted for our salvation and for our healing, on one knee, in humility, the humility of Jesus is one of my favorite attributes to study. The Bible says that he had no real inclination of beauty, so people didn't find themselves in love with him. But it's because the cross is so jarring and disrespectful to our own thinking that we can't find the beauty in something unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. So Jesus, for 33 years, is on his knee, waiting for that moment. And that moment came where he stood up and he took all that abuse, all that pain, all that suffering, being marred beyond any other human being to the point where people wondered if that is even a human. Hanging on that cross, asking one question of all of humanity, will you love me? God, how, how, how far will, will you go to win my affections? And he goes, will you marry me? Will you commit yourself to me fully? If you want to know how far God will go to win your love, if you want to know how far God will go to strip you bare, to win your heart, to lock you in, to bring you to himself, to betroth you to him forever, to declare to you, I am your husband. It leads in him purchasing you for himself. Your unbridled love and adoration to him is the safest thing you can have. The moment you stop locking eyes and the moment you start getting into a legalistic perspective of the cross is the moment the heartbeat of the cross stops pulsing. It is my firm belief that the heartbeat of the cross is speaking into the new covenant that we're brought into. And it screams out, will you marry me?
Will you commit yourself to me? I purchased you. I paid the price. I gave everything I had. I pursued you without boundaries. Some of you in this room, you need that. You needed to to know that God is actually pursuing you. He would not ask you to run after him if he's not first running after you. He's not a stale, de-loving God, but he's a God that is hotly pursuing you. And he will do whatever it takes to have all of you. It's time we press in. It's time we cry out. It's time we re-sign up. It's time we reflect back on the day we said yes to him first and let the voice of God break into your life again. My prayer is that you would hear him say, I remember you. I remember your early devotion and I'm after you. Again, I was not looking for an encounter with God on that day. But the moment I felt his presence and I heard that sweet voice, everything changed in my life. So if you're in this room right now and you know you need the voice of God, I'm not saying come up here and rededicate your life. Yes, if you want to do that, but I'm I'm specifically calling out if you want to hear the voice of God that will break away everything that hinders love, I want you to come up here. If you want to feel and know the pursuit of God on your heart, I want you to come up here. The same way in which God desired you, He wants you to desire Him. It's not about how well and how committed you are. It's not about how polished and perfect you are. He wants all of you. And he will help you do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That your whole spirit, soul, and body would be kept blameless at the coming of the Son. And he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. If you want freedom from addiction, come up here. The same way in a moment, in a second, I was set free from addictions that made me a slave, that ran my life, that mocked me and tormented me. I want you to come. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.